This is an ABC podcast. Um, Before we start, though, actually, did you know, I think I'm pretty sure this studio is where we had our very first little interview where you were like welcoming me to take over the show before I took over the show. I I mean, I sat where you you were were sitting and I was there. How amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. A long time ago now. Well, not that long, but three years. years, What? Three years? It's amazing, isn't it? If you're a long time listener to this show, you will know that voice. Is it weird to be on that side of the yeah, mic now? Yeah, it is now? weird. <laughs> You'll be great. <laughs> you, you, you know exactly how to do this well. It is Lynn Malcolm, the former host of this very program. Hi, I'm Lynn Malcolm and I hosted the podcast All in the Mind for nine years before I left the ABC in 2020. She's back now as the author of All in the Mind, the book which brings together some of the most interesting research and stories from her time in the host's chair. So, I'm Sana Kadar, this is All in the Mind, and Lynn is going to take us behind the scenes on her years on the show. After I'd, Rhonda and I had had this um, interview, she said to me, just one more thing, and I said, yeah, what is that? And she said, can I give you a hug? Oh. Thank you for listening. You know, thank you for listening to me. <laughs> And that was hard. And that was beautiful as well. Lynn's also going to share what's been on her mind since leaving. Look, to be really honest, when I left the ABC, I was, well, I was, um, I wasn't that happy about it. I didn't want to let it go. I really didn't want to let go. Although, you know, kind of, I knew that it was the right time to do it. Today, I'm nervous. I interview my predecessor, the inimitable Lynn Malcolm. So before we talk about the book, I want to know how you got your role hosting All in the Mind, because you you did a degree in psychology in university. Was it the goal to cover psychology as a journalist? No, my goal was to be a psychologist. Hmm. Um, Makes sense. I'd already... I'd always been interested in psychology and human behaviour, the mind, etc., right from school days. But then I, when I finished uni, I sort of went off track a bit. I went off and did some travelling and didn't do a kind of a postgraduate psychology mm. degree, which would have made it easier for me to get into being a psychologist. Right. And then, oh, it was, look, it's, it's kind of a funny story really, but one of the things I did was that I lived an alternative life in a tent by the river. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> and, um, and then that all kind of fell apart and I came back and I was just desperately looking for work and a life, a new life. So I went into the city. I was staying with my parents and, and I went into the city and I was having lunch and I had the newspaper uh, looking for a job in the newspaper. Next to me there was an elderly lady sitting next to me and she said, are you looking for a job? And I said, well, yes, I am. And she said, why don't you go into the ABC? Um, I've been working at the ABC for years and years and they're lovely there. <laughs> and um, I thought, oh, OK, I'm here. Hey, I'm up for anything. And so I ducked into the ABC office in Elizabeth Street in you the city. You could just do that, just walk in? Well, I just did. Wow. And um, said, you know, I've got a degree in psychology, but I wondered whether there might be anything that I could 
could do here, personnel sort of thing. Right. And anyway, they took my details and called me the, the next Monday and said, look, we've got a temporary job for you. If you'd like to come in, it's three months, you know, and I started. How old were you? How old um, are you at this point? I was kind of mid-twenties. All right. And so you were just talking to reception and that's what got the ball yeah, started rolling. Never, never happened these days, eh? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I wish my career started like that. That'd be amazing. It wasn't a straight shot to hosting All in the Mind, though. Initially, Lynn got a job as a clerical assistant, which she says was... Very unstimulating. But eventually, she made her way into radio, and then later, the science unit. Worked on the science show, I worked on environment programs, I became the executive producer of the science unit, Hmm. and then Natasha Mitchell, who was hosting the All in the Mind program at the time left and went to another program Mm -hmm. and I was invited to host. I thought, yes. Yeah, was that like a dream gig? (laughs) It was dream. It was perfect because it just brought together all my interests. You know, I devoured it, really. And over the years doing it, did you find doing the show and being across all that research and, and that subject matter helped you in your own life, you know, process events you were going through or anything like that? Yeah, a lot, I think, a lot. I was just, yeah, fascinated by how things had changed, thought had changed about approach to health and well-being, mental illness. Mm. And I was fascinated also by the science, the, the, the research and the science that was had been building up and it was really kind of supporting inner experience and I was able to reflect on my inner experience from when I was quite young. So yes, very helpful. I I picked up so many tips. Could you you share anything specific if you'd be happy to? Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. But um, I suppose as a child, I was definitely, I I went through a period of anxiety um, quite young, didn't know what it was. And, you know, my mother was really anxious about me being anxious. (laughs) And um, and she took me along to, to see a psychologist, which was interesting, like, you know, I might have been like 10 or something. Even at that stage, I was just fascinated by this process mm. of of actually somebody talking to me and, you know, trying to work out what my inner experience was. I guess in retrospect, I have learnt over the years just, just anxiety that it is a, a cycle that you mm. you get caught in and you're responding to something that you think is super threatening and is is the end of everything for you but in fact when you step back and you look at it and realize that it's not going to kill you it's that you can get through these things and you don't have to let it take you over yeah um that's been really interesting do you know what? That's really interesting because that's actually where I've found the most use coming out of doing this show in my own life, like dealing with anxiety or, or how to think about rumination differently and how to break that cycle. That's exactly where when we've done episodes that touch on that, I've actually been able to use those things in my own life and, and yeah. change that. So, for example, we did an episode uh, a couple of years ago, but we've recently rerun it on chatter, you know, the, the kind of the talk that happens in your brain and, and when it sort of folds over into rumination. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and mm. I found the techniques that Ethan Cross, the researcher we spoke to, talked about in there in terms of um, trying to zoom out, think of the bigger picture and talking to yourself. Like, I've actually used that in my own life, initially thinking, oh, is this really going to help? But I might as well try it. And it has. And that's that's one of the ways I found this show actually just practically 
is really wonderful to be plugged into. Yes, I, I, know, I know what you mean. And yeah, it's really, it's, it's very helpful. It's so simple, you know. And I guess the other thing is um, I've always been fascinated by other people's perspectives and what, is, what does it feel like to be somebody else? And I've got such an incredible insight now in that diversity of human experience and mm. now the neurodiversity, we have a, a term for it now, that yeah. we all see things a bit differently, we experience things differently and the more that we can understand and get some sort of empathy or compassion... Mm-hmm for that person's perspective, the better we'll all be, you know, yeah. be, we'll be a kinder, more generous society and, um, you know, I think less neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so in your nine years hosting All in the Mind, is there a story or a person you interviewed that most sticks out in your memory? Yeah. Look, I've got a few. Um, I guess at the beginning I interviewed, I saw this this book about a young man who fell into a coma. He had a, a mysterious neurological condition. He fell into a coma when he was 12 years old, I think. And he'd since he'd written a book. But before that, he was in this coma for over 10 years in an institution, he everybody assumed that he was absolutely not conscious and didn't mm. know anything. He couldn't move, he couldn't speak, he was just there. And he writes later that after about three years of being in this silent nightmare, which he had, he had no impact on anybody, he woke up and he had this full awareness of everything that was going on around him. My awareness was something that happened gradually. So it wasn't like one moment I was asleep and the next moment I was awake. It is quite difficult to describe, but I often say that it is sort of like looking at a grey, completely out of focus image, and then gradually the colours start to flow back. He was watching things, he was seeing things, he was even abused by people that didn't know that you know, they were being witnessed. Because he was... Because he was completely paralysed mm. and locked in. He had locked-in syndrome. As my awareness returned, it took me a while to fully comprehend that I was trapped inside my body. Of course, as the reality dawned on me that not only was I trapped in my body, but that I was probably going to spend the rest of my life in this state was something I really struggled with. That feeling of complete and utter powerlessness is probably the worst feeling I have ever experienced. Yeah, so that story, I interviewed him. He was in the UK and I interviewed him on Skype using computer-assisted generated voice. Right. What happened after years, a, a very astute nurse noticed that he's he had these eye movements and she started to work out that she could actually communicate with him through eye movements and that led to him learning to communicate and and then they developed this computer-assisted voice mm. for him so he could tell his story and wrote his book. So I'd asked him things like, well, what were you thinking about? What did you do? How did you keep yourself sane, you know? Mostly through escaping into my mind. I would literally and he told all these amazing kind of fantasies about... He used to imagine that he was sort of, you know, driving some James Bond vehicle. <laughs> or that my wheelchair would magically transform into a flying vehicle a la James Bond. 
or, um, you know, all these different fantasies. Like being very small and climbing into a spaceship and flying away. And then and while he was there, a woman called Joanna used to come and visit another friend in the, in the hospital and they connected and they basically fell in love while he was there. And I, I can remember he's, he just had such a lovely smile and I actually thought, oh, wow, is this a brother? And they eventually got married. And uh, I spoke to him sort of not long before I started writing the book. And he said, yeah, well, amazingly, we had a child. Wow. And now I'm absolutely thrilled, but I'm learning how to be a parent when <laughs> when you're locked in. You know? Yeah, so he's still fully paralysed, right? Yeah, still fully paralysed and communicates. He works as well, mm. but he just uses this um, computer-generated voice. So that was stunning to me. You know, the interview... I had to ask him a question, then I had to wait minutes for that yeah. voice to be produced so that I could hear the answer back. Right. So it couldn't be, a, you know, as simple as a casual back and forth. like a, No, no, yeah. no, no. I really had to think. I thought this is, this is going to be really stilted and it's never going to work. But he was amazingly thoughtful mm. and considerate in the way he spoke. And then, of course, you know, taking it back to the studio and cutting it all together, yeah. cutting out the spaces. <laughs> It's, it's the kind of story that's like if you have a Venn diagram of like the most remarkable, nightmarish and rare story, this one hits all of that. But also there's a happy ending at the end. Amazing happy ending. And also it provoked me to look further into what research is going on about consciousness itself. And I found this uh, professor, Adrian Owen, and to think that Adrian Owen is working so hard to try and help people who are in that sort of mm. situation again. If you detect it really early, imagine what a difference yeah. Martin's life would have been, you know. Never underestimate the power of the mind, the importance of love and faith and to never stop dreaming. In all the time you've been doing this show, what's been the most difficult interview you've done or the most challenging? Well, I did a couple of interviews with two amazing women. Both of them had dissociative identity disorder. It's a disorder that used to be called multiple personality disorder. Mm -hmm. It's a condition where usually as a result of extreme trauma, people dissociate. It's like a, a protective mechanism for things that are just far too hard to take in in reality. Um, the first woman I spoke to, Kalina, I actually wasn't in her presence when I interviewed her. You know, she was in another studio in interstate. And I just didn't know what to expect here. I'd been quite successful in study um, career. I had a family. I thought my life was going really well, to be honest. Um, or at least the parts of myself who were living my life at that stage thought things were going quite well. And we started talking and she just sounded, she was the most grounded, authentic, uh, lovely person. And we started talking and I asked her about, well, they're referred to as alters, which are the different personalities, but she likes to call them parts, parts of herself. Um, so had parts that could speak English and parts that couldn't speak English. And I asked her how many she had and she said, well, hundreds. Some, one wore glasses, one spoke another language. Sure, there were parts that were really angry and um, upset and so on, but 
the other one was completely clumsy and it was just this amazing range of different parts that she had. They were all really individual in themselves. And hearing that story in response to terrible trauma that she'd had as a young person and hearing the amazing sort of unfolding of that, she had years and years of therapy, very clever therapy. So I was just amazed by that and so impressed by how she had gone through that. And and so I think it was a couple of years later, a book landed on my desk and it was called Hope Street. And this was a book about somebody who'd had dissociative identity disorder as well, Rhonda, Rhonda Macken. Because the whole idea is never to be put together. Because the whole idea is to remain silent and almost non-existent. So I read it like I devoured it because it was just... But it was very, very disturbing, the book, because of the horrific abuse that she had had. But the book was about the intricate, complex pattern of multiple altars Mm -hmm. that she'd had and she created these whole stories around these people. Under what circumstances they came in and what their purpose was. Okay, one I particularly love is Stones. Stones was created so that she was on the outside. She had no connection to the dysfunction, no connection to the mother, the father, to anybody really. She walked along the outside, she saw what was happening but she was never allowed to intervene. And there were other strange imaginative people like Wicked Witch and Persephone and Metastopheles. And well, we got to about 200 and I stopped counting then. And they're all to protect the true memories of what had happened to her. What happened? My father returned from the Second World War, completely crazy, really. He had PTSD, but more than that, he had many psychotic episodes. So he was very violent. My life was threatened often. And and I noticed that she'd self-published the book. And I thought, this, I can't, this is hard to believe. Mm. And I was a bit worried. But anyway, I decided to sort of go ahead and do it. And she came in and... She came in in person, yeah. She came in in person. And the first thing she said to me when we got into the studio, she says, before we start, I want to ask you one question. And I said, what is that? And she said, do you think I'm crazy? Well, I went, oh, (laughs) no, actually, I don't think you're crazy because I had had this interview previously with Kalina and I I realised that this is is a real thing and and I realised how amazing it is for you and people like you to be able to, you know, to come out with it and talk it through. Mm. And she said, okay, good. So we settled down and we did the interview. She must have been feeling quite vulnerable going into the interview if she asked you that, hey? She was. She was feeling very vulnerable. And and then, you know, and she was really lovely and open and generous in the way she told me about her inner experience. Interestingly, both these women didn't even know that there was something, they had something going on until they each had their own children and they had children that were the, pretty much the same age as when they started to be abused themselves, oh, wow. started to trigger this kind of depression, anxiety, um, and so they they went to seek help at that point. So 
Um, yeah, after I'd, um, Rhonda and I had had this um, interview, we went out and um, to, to meet up with her husband and she said to him, I just, she said to me, just one more thing, just one more request. And I said, yeah, what is that? And she said, can I give you a hug? Aww. Thank you for listening. Aww. You know, thank you for listening to me. And that was hard. And that was beautiful as well. Why does that make you emotional still all these years later? Oh, I think to um, to realise that there are so many people who have this inner experience that they're afraid to talk about, they're afra- afraid to come out with, they don't feel listened to or understood. And I think that, I mean, I'm very hopeful that, that we're, we're more and more aware about destigmatizing these conditions. And the more that we put ourselves in other people's shoes, we understand what their different experience is and it's just as valid as, you know, every, we're all, we've all got valid mm. inner experience. The more we can empathise and have compassion for each other, the, it'll, it'll fuel the, the research. I think um, scientists are becoming sort of more aware and, and compassionate about the work that they do. And I think it, can, it will lead to a much more, um, I don't know, compassionate, humane society if we can just stop and listen. These kinds of stories that involve so much trauma, um, you know, hearing people tell their stories, like Rhonda in particular, you know, she was abused by her father from the age of two, like just awful. How do you, A, prepare for something like that, an interview like that, and then decompress from it? Mm. It's Look, it's interesting really, and, it, you know, it's the first time I've thought about it, but you asked me about, you know, my childhood and about anxiety, the exact anxiety that I felt. Yeah. And one of the things that I felt really early as a child was like I, I would see people that were suffering more than I was or, you know, and I really felt for them and I was almost like I just, I didn't, I was scared to see it, I was scared to face it, so therefore I didn't want to go walking to school on my own because I'd see the pain of others, you oh, know. Wow. And I think that, so what's happened since then is that uh, I've sort of gone the other way and I think the more you can look and listen and experience those painful situations that other people have gone through, the more you can, I guess, help or the more you can understand others and yourself, you know. So mm. it's it's facing that rather than running away from that that, that I think I've, I've learned. Yeah. yeah. Was it mm. difficult to distill nine years' worth of programs into a book? Like was it hard to decide oh, what yeah. to include, what to not include? Yeah. It was interesting. Um, I was approached initially to write it and this was before I knew I was leaving the ABC just before and uh, I thought, no, I haven't got time, sorry, too busy. And then once I sort of progressed and, and then it looked like I was leaving the ABC, I thought, well, now's the time if I'm going to. And then I thought, 
this would be an amazing opportunity to really help me value, look back and value the incredible mm. experience that I've had, which I've loved um, hosting All in the Mind. So I thought, no, this is this is really, this is going to be really therapeutic for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought, okay, I, I was asked, you know, what's the structure, you know, how are you going to do it? And so I I did it, I think I did it really intuitively. I just went back and looked at all the programs, thought about all the programs. I let some of the things that that struck me come out, you know, just let them reveal themselves. Partial agenesis of the corpus callosum. I also have colours for people, so everyone, even if I haven't Why I was feeling like that. And so what could you do about that misalignment of values? I guess there were certain things that I could have done. In fact, but it's just she can't forget any single day of her life. And then I thought about, well, what am I, what do I want to sort of get across here in the book? And I, I want to impart the fascination that I have about human beings and human experience. So I guess I wanted to sort of talk about the brain and the mind and, you know, what what the difference is and what we're learning about that, how it works. I wanted to talk about mental disorder and the insight into mental disorder. And then in the end, what came through for me when I really stopped to think about it was what I mentioned before, which is um, across all these areas... The thing that really makes the difference is authentic human connection and communication. Mm-hmm. So and the development of kindness and compassion will just make a difference for our future. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, it felt like a cathartic way to cap off a career. How, yeah, was it firstly? And how does it feel now that it's out in the world? Yeah. Um, Well, look, to be really honest, when (laughs) I left the ABC, I was, well, I was, um, I wasn't that happy about it. I didn't want to let it go. I really didn't want to let go. Although other, you know, there are other things around, you know, that kind of, I knew that it was the right time to do it. But I just couldn't imagine how I was going to sort of cope with that kind of grief of, of letting it go. What am I going to do with myself and how, you know, so... I definitely wondered about about you and yeah. how you would be feeling after yeah. after letting go of a show you've done for nine years. Oh, yeah, and, and not easy, you know, and and that's partly why I kind of decided, yeah, I'll go ahead and, and I'll write a book because there was that. I had, I had, I had to cope with that and mm-hmm. I had to work out a, a way, and as it turned out, it was a really good way to cope with that. The other thing that was happening, though, was COVID. Yeah. So um, all my plans of, you know, when I finished work, I'd go travelling and do this and that and the other. Well, no, that wasn't to be. So um, it wasn't – it was hard, actually, writing the book. It was hard. Yeah, I never want to write a book. It sounds terrifying. <laughs> super um, hard. It was really challenging. And so I feel really great about having done it. And, and as the time has gone closer and closer to the book being finished and published – I felt I fully realised what a valuable mm. thing it has been uh, for me, and it yeah it feels really good now, and I'm really looking forward to it feeling good for other people too. Yeah, yeah perfect. <laughs> and now you can get back to the travel. You had travel. to put on hold. And the other thing I'm really I, I am do, I'd already started doing, but I'm I'm exploring um, visual arts. I'm doing painting and mm. printmaking, and and I'm really enjoying opening up to that, which I haven't done 
for the whole of my career. So that's exciting as well. A second career as an artist on the oh, way. Oh, well, I don't know about a career, <laughs> but just an enjoyment of the moment of creating art. Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it's been so nice to have you back on your show. <laughs> it's been and so chat. nice to talk to you too. And I'm really glad that you're doing beautifully on the show. And I'm really glad that you're enjoying it too. Thank you, Lynn. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, an amazing gig. It's the best. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That is Lynn Malcolm, former host of this very program, and now author of a book also called All in the Mind. And if you want to go back and listen to any of the episodes she mentioned in this chat, you can. They are still on our website and on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. We'll also link to those stories on the webpage for this episode. Thanks to producer Rose Kerr and sound engineer Beth Stewart. I'm Sana Kadar. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.